Welcome folks to another edition of Cybersecurity Dispatch. In today's talk, we are going to be catching up with Martin Illis, Director of Privilege Access Management at Balbit. And the episode is titled, Who is Watching the Watchers? Our focus is going to be on user privileges, the need for AI and MLS tools to augment the SOC operator and not to replace him or her and the frictionless security that allows lines of businesses to see the value of security to ensure business continuity versus a roadblock that they need to skirt around. So welcome to the Cybersecurity Dispatch. So we have a very interesting guest today. Martin Gilas, is that how you close your last Yep. Okay, close enough. Close enough, yeah. (laughs) Okay. And so we're actually going to be talking about what his company really does, so I won't break any suspense right now, but we're really going to be talking about two things that have plagued the industry for a very long time. One is about the whole issue of privileges and what does excess privileges really mean and why does it still continue to be such a fundamental issue today, that's number one. I think the second thing is really talking about the impact of not detecting a breach and letting it wallow for a long period of time. Even that continues to be something that we used to talk about a decade ago. It still continues to plague us today. So again, I think we'll have enough to talk about in the next 125 minutes. So before I do that, let me hand it over to Martin to talk a little bit about himself and what he does. All right, so let me just start with a brief introduction. Sure. So uh, my name is Martin Lish. So your pronunciation is pretty good. All right. And I'm from the company called Bobbit. And basically what we are doing, we are working with privileged user management or privileged access management. That's where we are basically coming from. So just back to your original question, and uh, first thing first, like why privileges do matter and why we still need to work with them. So when you look at uh, privileged users or privileged accesses, basically the the need to have privileges is just to do your work. In an average environment, in an average organization, users do require certain privileges in order to do their daily jobs. Without that, be very difficult for them to work. Just take an example like a system administrator or a database administrator. If you revoke the system administrator rights, or if you don't give the tools to you know like become and run certain privileged tasks or jobs, yeah. they won't be able to work and that's why we need the privileges. But also it's like a double-edged sword because we need to give them the privileges right. but also uh, then the question comes how we, we control, how can we oversee what they are doing and how they are using those privileges. So to answer the other, from another perspective, like I think privileges will stay with, for, with us for, for a long, long, long time in order to make sure that people can work. The type of privileges are changing over time. So if you look back like 10 or maybe 15 years ago, we're talking about like root privileges or administrative privileges. Now the word is a bit changing. It's now much more fine-grained. But still, at the end of the day, it's still privileges. So it means that someone can access data or modify data or, or access systems or modify system states. And we still need to, these people still need to have those uh, privileges in order to work. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about this, right? Which is, like you mentioned earlier, so everybody needs something right. to get their job done. But one of the things that I frequently encountered is, hey, let's say a boss decides to take a vacation, or the sysadmin is on leave or something, and for me to get my job done, I'm assigned a certain set of privileges, which is over and above my normal day job, just because the so-called super user is, is absolutely giving me that. And is it still true that there are no processes in place where once the super admin comes back or once I've gotten my job done, 
it automatically revokes those privileges back. Is that, is that still continuing to plague us today? Or? I think it's, it's, it's changing and it really depends on the organization and also the maturity of the organization from a security perspective. So we see less, at Bobbit, we see less and less like one holy super user or one like a sealed word user who can do everything. So they are trying to break up the super user privileges. And also it's, it's much more about like how you control like which regular user can act as a super user in order to you know accomplish certain tasks so that's that's much more where the discussions are much are today like how can i control either from a time or an access perspective what the users can do and this is exactly what we are trying to help it so give the tools which is still you know like in security it's always a big question whether usability or security right so in order to be efficient we need to give the tools to the organization uh, so that they can delegate this uh, super user or privileged access rights right. to a given user for a given task at a given time. So define like when certain people have access to certain systems. So let's extend this now to cloud. They do not have a conversation about cloud. Of course. So does what has everything that has taken up to this stage today, which is really based on, like you said, database admin or other kind of infrastructure admin, how does that translate into once you move to the cloud? I mean, is it the same set of folks that a super user comprehends the same super user in the cloud, or are these so called, let's say, AWS experts or Google experts who mastered what DC2 is or S3 is? Are those people now holding the keys to the kingdom and is the impact of what they can do less or more now that you have public cloud how does that change the equation so i would say it does not change and it changes as well okay so it very much depends on what type of cloud usage we are talking about so when you talk about like an infrastructure as a service it's basically just someone has computers right so we still have the root account and all the accounts you need to have control and monitoring over I talk about much more like platform or software as a service type of cloud, then there's a slight change there. So, for example, right now we even consider privileged access someone who has access to a Twitter account. We can see like a Twitter account can be very, very, very powerful. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just, just to take it like, or a Facebook account or, yes, or any yeah. like That's social media. Yeah. Also, if you look at like, like Salesforce, like another cloud service, like someone who is like a Salesforce administrator right. is in some way a privileged user. So I would say like there are different types of privileged users and certainly we need different type of controls and also different types of monitoring capabilities to, to monitor that. Okay, so then that leads to a really interesting question which is, you mentioned monitoring, right, which means oversight of these users themselves. I mean, who, who actually does this monitoring of the super users? I mean, are you looking at automation, software, AI? Is it like it's almost like saying, hey, I have Superman and somebody has to make sure Superman is actually doing his or her job right? Yeah, and then this is basically where we all a bit are coming from. So to to look at like who watches the watchers right, problem. Exactly. And this is exactly yeah. what you are you are asking about. Yeah. And I think it's it's a multifold thing. Like in in one case. Uh, we can talk about that there are users who are actually running the IT operation and have super user privileges and there's another set of users who are like like the security team and this is a segregation of duties right and once right. it's done properly and once I have these control and monitoring capabilities there and there should be no overlap oh, yeah. and then comes the monitoring part so in many cases what we see that that is a, it's a deterrence just you know, that you know that you are being monitored yeah people think twice what you are doing and then like 
like for example what we do at Bobby that we are applying machine learning technologies because the problem at the end of the day that even you are using monitoring it's too much data Correct. even if you look at like uh, like the control part like what entitlements user have it, yeah. it's too much data so AI or machine learning can help uh, significantly from a perspective to understand what user privileges are there what we call, what we call a little bit like the uh, monitoring at rest yeah. or what users are doing so monitoring like activities and combining all these together interesting so if you were to kind of put this in perspective in enterprise right, do you see friction between organizations lines of businesses that need to get their job done right and is this kind of monitoring something that needs to come down from a security angle perspective, from a client angle perspective, as a hey, you won't be able to launch this new CRM tool or, or this or this new uh, marketing campaign unless you have this in place, or do you think the evolution or the maturity of the organizations are already getting to that level where lines of businesses themselves feel that they've had outages or they've had issues whether the user has stolen credentials. Where do you see the, I mean, has the need moved at all or is it still this kind of fist fight going inside organizations? Uh, it's a tricky question, I would say. I so, <laughs> so I would say still a line of business wants to do the business. Yes. And our experience at Bobby shows that they don't really care about security. Security is still like not even a second class city and probably a third or a fourth class okay, citizen. Okay. Hey, thanks for your honesty. <laughs> then that, that, that's just life. Yeah. So that, I think that's why it's very important that we want to, we need to make security as frictionless as possible. We don't want a lot of business to care about security, but still we want to come up with a solution where they have and they can benefit from the security. So that's why at Bobbit we believe that it's very important to combine the control and the monitoring aspect. Because mm. basically the control aspects are the one that really, I would say, freaks out the business yeah. Because yeah. oh, it's another control. I need someone to approve it uh, or an additional approval. And don't get me wrong; these are very, very important. But you cannot add like a third, a fourth, or a fifth layer on top of that because people will just find a shadow IT solution. Right, exactly. Yeah. So what we are saying that you should have a, a right balance of co of combining this control type of security with a monitoring type of security. Monitoring is much less evasive. Right. So people are just doing their daily job, and like all of a sudden they just get authenticated just by looking at their behavior, for example, right. which is a very, very attractive thing. Right. So we don't really change the way how they do their job, but still we get some of the benefits of, of, of what this type of security can provide. Yeah, so it's interesting you mentioned that because talking about benefits and being monitored, right? So this morning when I was here, I get an email saying, hey, $36 or 36 euros have been charged your credit card. If you're okay with it, then you don't need to do anything. If not, please call us at this number, right? So I called my wife, she had done the transaction, so everything is okay. So I like that kind of monitoring, right? Which is actually giving me the ability to stay in control of how my credit card is being used. So the question is, is Valuate and other kinds of companies getting to that point where the actual value of what monitoring will bring is being elevated to a point where people say, okay, I get this. I know what the value is. And I think, yes, there are many drivers for that, for example. So obviously compliance being like a very serious driver. Organizations need to be compliant, but we see more and more organizations moving into the direction where they, they want security for the, for the sake of security because they don't want to make to the headlines, for example. And it's very interesting, the example you, you brought up. So this is something actually we also do at Bobbit, with what we call a push to confirm. So for example, we're running our monitoring and we are running all the, the machine learning or AI-based analytics. And when we detect something suspicious based on certain behavioral aspects, then we can notify the user and check whether that 
unusual activity was really an intentional one and non-intentional one. And now it's very interesting. Remember, it's also like reminding the user that he or she is being watched, but also it's like a very, very fast feedback loop that the user can say no or yes. And also, if you look at another uh, problem, and, and I think that's again still a topic at RSA 2018, that organization cannot find the talents to run their security operations center. So as much as you can automate, and either, and, and, and instead of letting a security operation personal pick up the phone, call the guy and ask, like, was it really you or not? Right. This is something that could be automated. So the point when the user gives a feedback, whether it's positive or negative, we already took over some of the like very repetitive job of a security person who can spend the same time, same amount of time and, and effort on something much more more meaningful. Yeah, so I'm going to ask you a slightly tougher question right now. All right. <laughs> uh, heading down the path, because you, you mentioned something that has been kind of making headlines right now, which is really, is AI and ML actually going to take away jobs? So in some sense, either obviously or subtle, is there resistance inside organizations where you come and Exactly like you say, you position tools which traditionally people have been doing, however flawed those people are in terms of number of alerts coming in and being able to react to that. But is there a sense that we've come to a point where there is at least realization the C-suite level that this is neat, like risk mitigation, cyber insurance costs are going up, etc., etc. But the actual practitioners, remember? I mean, who've actually built a career on, on doing stuff like this. How is that going to be solved? I mean, if you don't solve the people problem, we can talk all day long and nothing happens. Uh, that's a very good question. I think it's, it's really, really focuses the really important part. Now, machine learning or, or this type of automation can be done in, in very different ways. I mean, we had probably believed that this type of automation and, and machine learning should not replace the human factor. But what we are trying to say that get all the job that could be done by a computer in an efficient way and let the computer do it, maybe it's, you know, it's like the 80-20 rule. Let the computer handle the 80% of the boring stuff. I mean, who wants to look at hours and hours of recording or who wants to look at gigabytes of data? It's just not efficient. Also, human beings could be biased on looking at what data. So what we are saying that Take the data that could be easily processed by a computer and let the computer, whether it's an AI or just a simple machine learning, doesn't really matter, process that data. Understand, like, we have, for example, at Bulbit, like thousands or 10,000 hours of recording of privileged users, you know, like running their daily job. It's, it's, it's super boring to look at. So we are utilizing the machine learning technologies to detect the unusual parts, and then we are signaling and giving a reason why those are unusual. And that's exactly the point where we rely on the human beings. We don't try to be like 100% Right. But we say that if a security op- operations center guy has like 15 minutes to evaluate an alert, then he or she should spend that 15 minutes in the most efficient way. Or even if we can take off some of, let's say, just half of the alerting, then that person will have 30 minutes to evaluate something. And we want to make sure that that 15 minutes or 30 minutes is spent in the most efficient way. So I think the last thing people should be worried about is that AI taking over their job. Of course, there are certain jobs that where AI could potentially take over, but what we very much advocated about it is that you should train your person and, and there should be the decision that only humans can make and it's not really efficient or not really accurate to make it by, by a computer or an algorithm. Okay, which leads me to another interesting question, which is you mentioned about the lack of talent, cybersecurity talent in general. So the machine is doing its number crunching, coming up with its recommendation. 
the impact of a human actually saying yes or no is far greater now. Right? So you're still looking at a, the need for, but it has to be at a much higher level, right? much more nuanced level, and they need to understand the impact of what they're doing, which is versus somebody, I mean, if, if I'm doing a, a sysadmin change or I'm doing a CLI change, it's one thing. But if all that's automated to be taken over by computers, and then it's like, hey, do I hit the new button or not? It still requires a high degree of sophistication. Yes and no, I would say. So obviously there are certain decisions that were made by human and still or will be made by humans. They require a certain talent yeah. or certain skills. There's no question on that. But also what we need to understand, and, and that's really, again, what the way how we are trying to tackle the, this machine learning at Bobbit is that we are trying to help these people. So in order, to, instead of them spending a lot of time to understanding a situation to make like uh, educate the decision, we are trying to provide all the details that they require. So actually, the really the important part of the of the human decision is to understanding the fact. And if you can help with the machine learning, that then still you don't need to do the boring job. So I would say it's in many cases just the opposite of what you were describing. Okay. So it makes it more exciting. Yeah, actually, because you don't need to do the boring part. Yeah. So let me come back to other things, which uh, again, as an AI ML company, you probably have to deal with this. Is if there's a lot of data that's being collected. By you and others. And with Facebook, Cambridge Analytica, you can't escape that. What sorts of protections are being put in place where everybody who wants to collect data is now has sensors all over the place? So, from a data privacy standpoint, what is your stance or what do you think the industry needs to evolve to right now where you have to balance the fact that, hey, you're only as effective as the data you collect, but the data you collect belongs to somebody else. So how transparent and it's a very good question and uh, being a European company yeah. we're coming from Europe and especially Germany there are some really strict rules and regulation around that I think the, the important part here is again to understand that if the customers or the organization we involved deal with they are not it's, it's not customer data it's their privileged user their own employees or their subcontractor or vendors actually working on their system and accessing their own customer data so in order to, to protect the customer data we are monitoring the privileged users and these privileged users, I would say 99 or probably 100, I wouldn't say 100%, there's no 100% in security, but most of the cases they are aware that they are being monitored. So that, that's an important factor. Also, another aspect, and, and we are basically trying to do two things here. One is that we want to make sure that people understand they are monitoring, so we have a lot of features around it, notifying the administrator when they log into the system that their session is being recorded. And the other thing is that we provide different level of encryption. So we are encrypting all that sensitive data and we have different control mechanisms to protect who can access even those recording. Just to give you an example, for example, uh, we have some, some German customers where the uh, trade union is very strong. So they are saying that, yeah, we understand you need to monitor privilege users, but if you don't want their boss or their manager spying on them. So what we are doing, we are using like a multi-factor authentication mechanism where uh, one key for the encryption is, is by the security team and the other is by trading uh, units. So in order to understand what person was doing, both the trade union and the security person needs to be yeah, there. So there, there is, it's, it's another form of control. And it's very important to do that. It's just the, the monitoring system needs to provide the right way of doing it. So let's kind of switch gears to one thing which you mentioned, which is being a German company sitting in the EU. From a customer sophistication standpoint, I mean, how are you seeing where GDPR has taken the awareness of the EU? enterprise perspective versus the rest of the world. And 
are you, are you seeing a distinct difference in sophistication, maturity, and understanding of what you bring to the table, depending on which geo So I think the, the interesting fact about GDPR that it's not just about EU companies. It's basically about any companies who deals with EU citizens, which yeah. is pretty much every global company. So I would say in that sense, it's not a real big shock. On the other hand, it's much more like companies are made aware that they should care about their customer data. It's like, for example, when a Sarbanes-Oxley regulation come out, it was like a big shock for the yeah. publicly traded company, and especially because there were like very strict enforcement and also CFOs were very much made aware. So very similar things are happening with GDPR, and it's not just happening on an EU or a European level, but it's also happening on a global level. Got it. Okay, so I think we're almost out of time. Any last final thoughts to our audiences in terms of people who are looking for, okay, does, does my organization have excess privileges? Is that an issue for me? What would you tell them? So it's basically what, what we, were, we were iterating over and over that you need to care about access, access rights, and and what ent entitlements users have, you won't get away for that. So what we are trying to say at Bobby that you should take like a two-layered approach. For the first layer is obviously controlling who has access to what, and the second layer is monitoring and understanding. But just from a perspective that, uh, like, if someone is doing uh, like something out of the, the normal, that's, that's a very important part. But also mapping to like what the person is entitled to do and what is happening in real life to to you know like cross that gap between policies and, and realities. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's a very fascinating conversation against day one at Tarasay today. So thank you for your time, Martin. And I think this has been very illuminating. Hopefully our readers will enjoy it as much as I did. Thank you. Thank you very much for the opportunity.